0: Since the presence of the Holy Spirit as we were worshiping this morning? Um, Laura was the only one who sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning. Mike did, uh, nobody else did. Um, Connie did. Uh, this is not a trick question, right? Either you, either you felt the Holy Spirit or you didn't uh, because I did and that's the only thing that keeps me coming back here is, I mean, I like Randy and Randy's a nice guy. Um I like Jesus better. I like experiencing his love and his presence. I like experience, I like y'all know, don't you, <clears throat> that, that salvation is the process through which we can know Jesus. We know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's a relationship. It's not rules. We're going to talk about that a little bit in a minute. It's just a relationship uh, of being close to him and being intimate with him and sensing that we are not alone and sensing that his presence and his power is flowing in our lives. Um, It's so simple. We make it too complicated. And in those times when we're worshiping him, it's just like, oh, I remember I had forgotten but now I remember Lord it's just being in your presence and letting you love me. Thank you God. Thank you God. Thank you for taking us wherever you want us to go and and this time we have in your word today. Amen. Um, now I'm just going to remind you we've been in the book of Acts now long enough that you should be able to say this back to me but the whole, what we're discovering in, as we study the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit will give you ability to tell what you've experienced everywhere you go with miraculous results uh, you, our, our, our assignment as believers is to just surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and then tell other people what God does in their lives when it happens to tell them to tell them the story our story of life in his story now you've seen this before right history is really what his story not your story not let me tell you my story about how messed up i was and then how i found my way back to god and how i did all these things for god and how wonderful it is now that i'm doing wonderful things for god This isn't. This is. Your story is. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Here's what Jesus has done with me. Here is the story of what He has done with me. We get that backwards. We tend we tend to think that we're supposed to be doing something for God. Instead, God is doing something with us. Right, but And it's all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the, is the book of the acts of the Holy Spirit. There's no Christian experience without being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Anything that you try to do or, or have a vision of accomplishing in your life that's not rooted and grounded in what the Holy Spirit can do instead of you, then you're just going to end up going around in circles. So there's that. Um, last week... <laughs> Uh, we we found Paul's first missionary journey and he was on his way to Cyprus. Well, he went to Cyprus and that's where he changed his name. It was Saul when he got to Cyprus. He changed his, his name to Paul while he was in Cyprus. And under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he faced a deep, threatening challenge and conquered it. He didn't hide from it. He didn't run away from it. He fixed his gaze on... A very powerful person who was trying to stop the spread of the gospel. And Paul just said, No, go away. Shut up. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be blind for a little while until you learn your lesson. Um, And the proconsul, who was the ruler of the island, saw all of this. And he believed when he saw what had happened. People tend to believe the gospel quicker, faster, and more fully when they can see that God is doing something in your life. If you just buttonhole somebody and say, Hey, let me tell you about Jesus uh, and give," let me give you some directions on how to be saved. That's not the same as having people see that God has changed your life. Seeing that you used to be this way and now... You are a totally different person because the power of the Holy Spirit has changed you. That's what the proconsul saw here, so, uh, and so the proconsul was amazed, and 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 it changed to what was going on on the island. All right, so that was last week. Now here's this week. Oh look, this is a terrible map. Um, nothing. Okay, so this is a useless map. Um, but you can see the little arrow parts Um, the island there where uh, where the arrows are starting that's Cyprus and then it goes off the left hand side of Cyprus and it goes up all the way up into the center of what's now Turkey to a place called Antioch Pisidia which you can't read because I can't even read it um, that's weird. Anyhow, Antioch-Pasidia, up in the very middle of Turkey, where th- several trade routes uh, in those days all converge right there. And from Cyprus, that's where they went. Um, basically, they went to Dallas. Because you know, like in Dallas, you've got I-35, then you've got I-20, you've got I-30, you got all these major highways that all converge in Dallas. And you got NAFTA trade coming to Dallas. You have shipping lanes. Lots of major drug dealing routes go through Dallas. (laughs) Um, So this Antioch-Pasidia is like the Dallas uh, of the Roman world, right there, boom, in the middle of Turkey. So as we see, if we can get rid of this dumb map. Oh, there you go. So Antioch Presidia is like ground zero for the next launch of the, uh, by the Holy Spirit of the spread of the gospel. Now, Paul and his companions, they put out to sea from Paphos, which is the capital of Cyprus. And they came to Perga and Pamphylia, which is a coastal city. And at that point, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, who is John really? He's usually known as John Mark. Uh, who most people think was eventually the guy who wrote the first gospel ever to be written, the gospel of Mark. But for reasons that are never explained, John Mark, who was just a kid, I don't know, maybe he got a text or something. He had to come home, do something. But, but he left. He, he abandoned Paul and Barnabas and uh, Pamphylia, and he went home. That's all we hear about it here, but not the last time we hear about this. Um, so they went on from Perga until they arrived at Pisidium Antioch and on the Sabbath day they went to the synagogue and they sat down because just like you did this morning you just came in and you just sat down and after the rabbi uh, read the law and the prophets and might not have even been a rabbi because because Jewish synagogues were pretty uh, like egalitarian Um, they were there wasn't like one guy who ruled everything. They, they educated each other. They, they read the scriptures together. And it wasn't necessarily the rabbi who read the scriptures, but, but somebody read the Law and the Prophets. And the synagogue officials then looked over at Paul and Barnabas, and they said to them, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So... Be careful why you asked for. Um, so Paul stood up, and I think this is interesting. He said, motioning with his hand, "I don't, I don't know what this is, what this was. What this was it like? Was it? Uh, yeah, it could have been this. I, 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 he did something. He motioned with his hand, probably to get their attention, and then." He launches off for about a page and a half, starting off with saying, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Stop right there. Men of Israel and you who fear God. Somebody explain to me what what he meant when he opened with this phrase. That's right. That's right. There were there were plenty of Jews there, but there was this other group of gentiles who were hanging around the synagogue because they were hungry for God. They they could see and in the Jewish scriptures that here that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was was the real deal, but they just couldn't bring themselves to start to go through all the Jewish rules. They couldn't bring themselves to follow the law and get circumcised and, uh, and give up eating ribeyes sacrificed to idols and things like that. They didn't understand the rules part, but they understood the God of the universe part. And so they came to the synagogue and they hung around because they wanted to be close to God and learn as much about him as they can. So, so Paul... Addresses them, he sees them, which means there must have been a lot of them there. And he says, "Men of Israel, and you who fear God, check this out." All right. Now, I'm not going to read all these verses because it goes on and on and on and on. It's not that it's boring; it's just that it goes on and on and on. But here's the highlights. Uh, I mean, he gives them the whole load. He tells them the whole story in about the same way that. That Peter has done several times. We've already seen in the book of Acts. He starts out uh, in Egypt and tells them all about the, what was going on in Egypt, and that the children of Israel then were in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, then he talks about you know life in the in the Canaan, in the land of Canaan, when they went to the Promised Land. and They had to deal with all these ites. Um, you know, let's all name some ites. The Hittites, parasites. parasites that's right. Uh, <laughs> The Jebusites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the uh, and the what the and the backbites are, all right they went they went, and this was a couple hundred years of living with the Ites then the people freaked out and they were tired of uh, of uh, following God, and so they wanted to give a and there was a king they gave him Saul as king then then The next king was David, who was a man after God's own heart. And he explains that David's descendants eventually produced a savior, whose name was Jesus. And and Jesus was proclaimed by John the Baptist, but he was rejected by the rulers in Jerusalem. And he was crucified. He was laid in the tomb. And he was raised from the dead. And he appeared to many witnesses over many days. It took a while for him to do all of that. But... um, Eventually, he gets to the good part. I love this. This is, this is, and you're going to love it too. This is cool. This is completely cool. Uh, Finally, he gets to the good news. After he's telling all the story, finally, he gets to some good news. First of all, he says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. By his death and resurrection, your sins have been forgiven. Which, if you are living under the law, which is the only hope you have that maybe somehow, someday, your sins will be forgiven if you just keep going through all the motions... He said, "So therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, the result of all that story and everything that I told you that happened is that I'm proclaiming to you today that through Him your sins have been forgiven." And they all go, "That I, I mean, that stopped the presses. Oh my goodness." I never believed in a million years, this could possibly be true, but wait, there's more. I mean, how could there be any more exciting news than to say, Carl, your sins have been forgiven. Wayne, your sins are forgiven. Through Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. Is that exciting? Is that good news? Right? That's incredible news. What could be, well, there's, but there's more, and this is the really cool part. Uh, it, in spite of the fact that that's completely awesome, I love this part. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. My goodness, just stop and think about this. There's an important phrase here. In order to step into this freedom, you have to do something. What is it? You have to believe. Uh, And and he makes an important distinction here uh, because he wants people to know that door number two is uh, that that the doorway into freedom comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, God loves you. Jesus died for you. Your sins have been forgiven. But if you want to really step into freedom, that only comes by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. But but then there's this clear acknowledgement. And this is the the mind-blowing part. The clear acknowledgement, the kind of little secret that maybe the Jews talk about just between themselves, but they don't really say much about it in public. Man, the law's not all cracked up to be because I'm still having problems with this. I'm still having problems with this. I'm still having problems with this. I mean, this is, I'm, just, I'm going through all these struggles and I'm, I'm doing the best I can to keep the law, but I still feel like I'm going around in circles and failing every day. I'm still trapped. So Paul just blurs it out. He said, not only are your sins forgiven, but now finally you can be freed from all those things that the law of Moses never freed you from in the first place. And so now what happens to their jaws? I, that's right. I don't know what happens. Uh, they, they, this is mind-blowing stuff. And they, were, and they were all freaking out, I'm sure. Uh, so let's talk about the law for a second. I'll ask you a couple of questions. Let's talk for a minute. What does the law... In this case, we're talking about the law of Moses. What did the law of Moses ask of people? 49,000 things. Let's name a couple. You have to, you have to tithe. You have to, the, the, the Ten Commandments were expanded... Yeah, things you can't eat. What, somebody said something over here. What? Yeah, you know, so we've got the Ten Commandments. And I'm not saying the Ten Commandments are bad. I mean, Ten Commandments are, are, are pretty basic important human uh, ethical standards. We have got the Ten Commandments. Uh, you've got to, there are certain things that you can't eat ever. Uh, there are certain things that women can't do at certain times of the month. There are certain kinds of clothing that you can't, certain kinds of material that you can't wear. Uh, there are certain certain kinds of food that really taste good, but you can't eat them. Um, there are certain holidays that you have to keep. Uh, there are certain places that you can't go, and and um, the law of Moses basically was introduced in the first five books of the old, what we what we call the first five books of the Old Testament. But then, uh, Jewish uh, scholars over several hundred years wrote interpretations and applications and uh, discussions, which expanded the law of Moses literally to the size of the Library of Congress—just volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes. when it says, "So this law and this commandment," you know, the Book of Leviticus is is a whole. Uh, <laughs> A whole entire book in the New Testament of little tiny discussions on little tiny laws and applications of laws that, that, were the, that just completely beyond the Ten Commandments. It just goes on and on and on and on. All these things that you have to do when you can do them, when you can't do them, who you can marry, who you can't marry, uh, where you can live, where you can't live, um, what words you can use, words you can't use. Um, and, and Jews became so afraid that they were going to accidentally break laws that they wrote extra sets of rules to make sure that they didn't get close to breaking the law, like not being able to walk more than 400 steps on the Sabbath out of a fear that you might... 401 steps would mean that you were doing work on the Sabbath. Uh, so limit it to 400 steps. But don't wander too far away from home with that 400 steps, because if you, like, uh, went out to feed the chickens, and you're like, 398, 399, 400... you're you're stuck there till sundown um so so here's my question how does any of that lead to true freedom <laughs> from my perspective and i know that there are jews who love living by the law and uh, i'm not this isn't a knock on on jews uh because it's their culture and it's their and it's the way they live and, and it's important to them. But I'm just asking, what kind of how does this really lead to freedom? Because it seems to me that it sort of just leads to two things. Uh, thing number one, if you happen to be really, really, really good at it, it leads to what? Pride. Pride. Like I'm a Pharisee, I'm proud. Look at me, look, look at me, Lord. I thank you that I'm. Not like your... I'm not like that tax collector over there. I'm doing it right. And I tithe the dill, and I tithe the mint, and I tithe the cumin from my garden. So... I... um, So here's here's the other thing. The other thing that it leads to... Well... The other thing it leads to is fear. Because if I'm not... You remember Romans chapter 7, Paul freaks out because he knew that he was coveting stuff. Nobody else knew it, but he knew it. And so he knew he was breaking the law and he didn't have any control over it. And so he wasn't getting freedom out of the law. He was getting fear out of the law and shame and helplessness and hopelessness and failure. The law doesn't lead to true freedom. Ah, uh, so here's my next question. In what areas, in what ways do we generally still struggle? And know that we that we there are things that we face everyday what areas what ways are we still not free I want to say politics. <laughs> that's right, yeah, and all the and all the frustration and all the fear and all the anger and all that i mean there's so so far, um, the law hasn't fixed that living by the law doesn't fix that. Um, other other kinds of things where, uh, we're, that we where we hunger for freedom. Just for me, just like Paul, and in, in my life every day, I know that there are th- there are thoughts and emotions and attitudes that I have that, um, that I know aren't from Jesus. Anybody else struggle from those occasionally? Okay, Um, that's right. Um, No, no peace. Peace doesn't come from Pandora's right. Pandora's box. Um, We, what we discover every day is that while we can grow closer and. closer... We are a work in progress, and Jesus is continuing to work in our lives to make us more like Jesus. That's, that's his goal, is for us to become more and more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit every day. But that how many of you are, know that that work in you is finished? Uh, is, that work, is God's work in you finished? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. He's, God, is, God is still working in you. Uh, God is still working in me, and in the meantime, these little battles, just like Paul's battle, they still go on. And when that, when those battles come and we're losing, uh, we get tracked up in fear and depression and frustration, and we start looking at Gene Hall and saying, "If only Gene Hall hadn't have said that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have sinned in that area." And so it's Gene Hall's fault because he made me mad. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we just keep struggling uh, because we are not yet. Even Paul says in Philippians chapter three, he says, uh, brethren, I have not attained that level yet. I'm still moving towards that freedom, but, but I, I, I haven't attained it yet. I'm not the perfect image of Jesus yet, but I am still pressing on. I'm not thinking about what lies behind. I'm not thinking about my failures I'm not thinking about those things in the past that The the bad things, the sad things that I did or the things that people said about me or did to me. I am pressing on because God has a a calling for me. He has a destiny for me and I'm just going to keep going that way. The power of the Holy Spirit is leading me that way. Um, Because the law, what we we now tell each other, what we call now the do better, try harder part of uh, the way the world thinks. Do better, try harder, never really brought anybody freedom. Do better, try harder, and maybe I can get God to love me more. Do better, try harder, maybe God will... I can live more of a life that's pleasing to God, and then God will bless me more. Do better, try harder uh, only produces either pride or fear. Uh, Temporarily, you may do some things. How many of you have ever been on a diet and it worked for a while, and you did better and you tried harder, and then when you quit doing better, trying harder... I'm just preaching to myself here. I don't. Now God would say it's finished, but we're still like the first grader knows we're going to graduate, but we know that. But we're still first grade, so it's not finished in our world. God's the word. It's finished. Yeah, the work of the cross is finished and there's no doubt about the outcome, but you're still walking through that process of getting freer every day and becoming more like Jesus every day. And it's a process that will keep on... You you know when it stops? You know when we know we're there? When we see Jesus face to face. But John says that in in, uh, 1 John chapter 3, when he says, Beloved, uh, we know now that we are children of God. It hasn't appeared yet what we shall be, But we know uh, that uh, when He appears, we shall be like Him. We'll be like... When we see Him face to face, boom, then the final transformation takes place. But in the meantime, we are not free. Our only hope is... uh, what what, What Paul is saying here, the law never made you free. Uh, Jesus is who has the power to free you from all of the things from which the law could not free you. And there's a uh, 2nd Colossians 2.23. Paul goes on to a rant here in 2nd Colossians, again, about the law and all the bits of it. But I'm just picking up here. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they don't work. They are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They are of no value against beating the flesh into submission. They are no value when it comes to reforming us into the image of Jesus. They don't work. Our only hope is the good news. Good news number one. Jesus has, well, let's go back because it's where he started. Go back to, oh, I've got to do all these things backwards. Uh, well, I'll just read it to you. I won't fight with it. The, the, when, when Paul says, first of all, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Forgiveness of sins has been pro- proclaimed to you. But So in spite of all the failures and all the ways that you continue to not live up to the standards that you know someone who's a Christian ought to live up to, all the ways that you're still weak and all the ways that you're still afraid and all the ways that you're still human. The good news is that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. God is no longer holding any of that stuff against you. Matter of fact, he says in Second Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin for you, so What? so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the good news is that, despite the fact that we still struggle every day, your sins have been forgiven, and God's not holding them against you any longer. But then, the, the next piece, Through Him, everyone who believes is now freed from all the things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Starts a process as we learn to trust Him, as we learn to surrender to the Holy Spirit, as we allow God to work into our lives, as this process of becoming more and more like Jesus every day plays out. The things that used to become snares to us are gradually broken off of us. He who the sun sets free is what? Free indeed. Freed from the fear of being abandoned by God because he looks at us now and says, your sins are forgiven. No longer alone in the battle with all those things that crush us, discourage us, Shame us. Because Jesus says, Fear not, I'm with you. We're going to get through this together. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am making you into a different person. A different person. A different person. What happens if I push this button? Okay, I'm going to start over. I'm going to get to this last thing. Jesus paid the real price. And he offers it to us on the basis of simple faith. There's nothing else he requires from us. Jesus paid the real price. You know, the, price of freedom for, the price of freedom to Jesus was death on the cross. The price of our freedom, death on the cross, so that we could be freed from all those things that the law could never help us with. Do better, try harder it's never going to get us where spiritually God wants us to be. So he did it himself. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and the sins of the whole world. And the price he asks us to pay? Simple faith. To accept the fact that that's true, to accept the fact that it's done, to accept the fact that it's finished, to accept the fact that he will never leave us and never forsake us, to accept the fact that um, I can do all things when he strengthens me to accept the fact that I've been crucified with Christ, but I'm still alive because he's living inside of me. And the life that I now live, I don't live by do better, try harder. I don't live by trying to fulfill the law. The life I now live is what? I live by faith in the son of God. He loves me. He died for me. He gave himself for me. Jesus is still just looking. For, every day, Jesus is looking at us and saying, do you believe that? Do you receive that today? Do you receive today my forgiveness for your sins? Do you receive today my lordship in your life? Do you receive today the promises that I said are true of you because I said they're true of you? Do you receive my promise that I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you? Do you receive my promise that greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world? Do you receive those life-changing promises? Receive them today. Put your faith in me today. Trust me today. Simple price. Oh, wait, it's a pretty huge price. Ultimately, it's a pretty huge price because when you put your faith in Jesus, that means you stop trusting yourself. Stop being in charge of your own life. Stop demanding that God do things the way you want him to do them. Stop telling, ordering God around. Stop throwing fists when God doesn't answer your prayers. Uh, and just continue to trust him that he will keep his promises in your life. Even though a lot of days he will have you walking through things that look like they're hard and you think you can't survive them and you won't survive them if you're thinking that it's up to you you won't survive them if you think this is do better try harder and I've just got to do better try harder and hope for the best you won't survive unless you're willing to just let it all go Jesus I trust you because it's your kingdom it's your power it's your glory Every time, I'm praying praying the Lord's Prayer a lot more than I used to because it just completely makes sense for me in a way that's never made sense before. Our Father who art in heaven. My heavenly Father, your name is awesome. Your name is holy. I just want to worship you. And I want your kingdom to come. And I want your will to be done in my life. Right now in me, just like it's being done in heaven. Thank you, God, for giving me today what I need. And thank you, God, for forgiving all of my sins and for giving me the grace to forgive all the people that have sinned against me. I thank you, God, for not leading me into testing that's beyond my my ability to bear. That's what it says in, in First Corinthians thirteen, ten, 10 or ten, thirteen, uh, and I thank you, God, for delivering me from the attacks of the evil one. Because it's your kingdom, it's your power, for your glory. That's all I want, forever. So simple faith means complete surrender. It's great to know that your sins are forgiven. And it's great to know that God is now ready to work in your life to set you free from all the things that do better, try harder, living by the law, living by rules, could never set you free from. All he asks is that you believe. And the act of believing is complete surrender. And Lord, I've been holding on to this stuff in order to keep me safe. Now I'm letting it all go. And I am going to hold on to you instead. Nothing else. I'm holding on to you. The word in Greek for for, tr- for for trust or faith or belief, is or pistis, and the image is, to trusting in something 100% absolutely. It's like you're you in a shipwreck and a piece of wood floats by and you grab on to hold of it with all of your strength and you just hold on to that because you know if, if we're up to you to save yourself by swimming for help, you would drown. And you can't control really where the wood is going You don't know where to turn to next. You're just holding on to that thing and never let go. When it says, this thing is available uh, to those who believe, these promises, this freedom, is only available to people who reach out, grab a hold of Jesus and hold on to them with all of their strength and all of their hope and, and all of their confidence, and they let go of everything Else. He paid the price for your freedom. There's still a price for you to pay. Receive Him, believe Him, trust Him. No matter where it takes you, you just keep trusting Him. Let's pray. Lord, One thing we know is that most of the things that we try to do every day don't really set us free. They don't bring us any freedom. Living by the do better, try harder rules doesn't produce any freedom. It doesn't produce any hope. It just makes us tired and annoying to be around. Thank you, Lord, for the good news that through Jesus, all right, our sins are now forgiven. And Lord, right now, we want to reach out to you. And today, in a, maybe in a completely new way, we want to receive you as our source of hope. We want to see, receive you as our source of freedom. We want, or we, we repent We confess that we still spend too much time holding on to other things that we think are going to set us free, even though they just tie us down. So Jesus, right now, I'm reaching out to you. I'm dropping everything else. I'm just throwing my arms around you. And I can feel you even in this moment, Lord, throwing your arms around me. Thank you, God, for the freedom that starts by surrendering. Lord, I'm just going to keep trusting you while you finish your work in me. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.